0: Hey, what's up, Resonate? It's great to see you this morning. Hey, great to see all of you. We want to welcome all those who are joining us online, our online family, and also our Hayward family that's joining us in the city of Hayward. Hey, we love you guys. So grateful that you're joining us on a great Sunday morning as you are getting seated and people are coming in. I want to remind you that one time, Around Easter, if you were here, we took a survey, and we took a survey because we're going to collect all that data, and we're going to actually form a sermon series around it, and free indeed, the thing that we're going through right now was a culmination of that. We asked you, what are some of the things that you're stressed about in life, and we collected all the data, and today, I am presenting you the second most ranked stress of your life so that you and I might be free from it, that we no longer be enslaved to it. That is the love of money, the love of money. Now I think it's fair to say that everybody goes through some financial stress, that most of us in this room, if not all, think that if we just had X amount of dollars more at the end of our paycheck, uh, it would solve a lot of the problems. You think, man, only if I had a thousand dollars more at the end of this month, it just would be so much easier. But what I want to propose that it might not be a financial problem, it might be a contentment problem, or even deeper, a spiritual problem. And we're going to discover that. And I believe it is, because one time uh, John D. Rockefeller was interviewed, and he was asked the question, hey, how much money would you have to make more in order for you to be satisfied? And his answer, a little bit more, a little bit more. And if... A little bit more didn't do enough for John D. Rockefeller. Ain't no little bit more going to be satisfying for us. It's not going to meet the needs. We have inner needs. We have deeper needs. Let's take a look at that. Today we have, once again, the great opportunity to hear from God's word. And so would you please turn, if you have your Bibles, to First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 6 on all the way to verse 19. And if you are able, would you please in all of our campuses stand for the reading of God's word? And I'll pray once again that the Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than the one that you're about to hear from me today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of which is truly life. That is the word of the Lord for this great Sunday morning. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Yes, please have a seat. Here at Resonate, we're a gospel-centered church, which means that we don't just teach morality and what the law of God says. We always look into ourselves and we say, what is the problem? And why is this problem existing? And how can we solve it? And we look at the gospel and we see the solution as that. And today is no different. Today we're looking at what is the problem with money? And why are we ensnared by it? And third, how could we be set free from it? And so that's the outline. So first, if you're taking note, what, notes, what is the problem with money? First, money ensnares us. It traps us. It gets us into a trap that we realize, perhaps, that we're not even aware of. Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich, rich fall into temptation into a snare. You see the word Snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Now stop there. Uh, now let me just start out, out by saying that this is one of the most misquoted scriptures in all of the Bible. You see, because you've heard it said before, money is the root of all evil. It's not true because if you look carefully here, it's not the money that is the root of all of evils, It is the love of money. That is the root of all kinds of evil. And this nuance is important because the Bible doesn't condemn wealth. In fact, the Bible says a lot of positive things about wealth, including the section that we're just studying today. For instance, in verse 17, it says, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You see, God is a rich God and he applies his rich, richness to provide us with everything to enjoy. So the Gnostics got it wrong. The Gnostics believed that everything that was material was sin and bad. Everything of the spirit was good. And so God created both the soul and the body. He created the material world and the spirit world, which means that God created all these things for us to tune into to ultimately glorify God and enjoy him forever and all of his creation forever. So they got it wrong we see that God is not against material things. Not only that, in verse 18, it doesn't say it's wrong to be rich. Instead, we are to be rich in good works. Meaning, if you're wealthy and you're giving generously to the needs of others, then that is a great and God-honoring thing. You realize Abraham, Job, Solomon, King David, these men, and these—and there are many women in the Bible that were really, really incredibly rich. But That wasn't the sin. That wasn't anything negative. God blessed them with all these riches so that they could be rich in good works. And that's why I've said to you before, and I'll say it again, man, I love the fact that so many Christians in our church are wealthy. I'm really grateful for that. Why? Because you will use your wealth then to to, uh, expand the kingdom of God, to support the mission work that is all around us and in the globe. And that's the hope. So the Bible doesn't condemn anyone from being rich as long as you are stewarding them towards the good works that God calls us to and not selfish gain. However, with all the affirmations of wealth also comes a great warning. Do you see this? That if you love money, whether you have it or not, yeah, that's a big qualification here because it doesn't say, if you have lots of money, be careful, it says, if you desire lots of money, be careful. That's what it says. Then you will get into a heap of trouble. Let's look at verse 9 again. But those who desire to be rich, you're like, thank God I don't desire to be rich. Only kind of rich. It's talking to you. <laughs> Fall into temptation. What kind of temptation? Look, look, into a snare, a trap. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, Can I tell you, if this was written, by the way, this is the authoritative word of God, amen? And this means it's the truth. And as much as we see salvation in this text that we believe so gladly, as much as we believe the grace of God that is preached here so gladly, when he warns us, it's a real warning. He says there's a trap. And if we were to ever read about this about our kids to say, hey, listen, there's a trap out there, and it's senseless, and there's, there's harmful desires that plunge your kids into ruin and destruction, you're like, tell me what that is. Tell me so that I can prevent my kids from this trap. And God says here, it's the love of money. Love of money. And it's a senseless, the word senseless is exactly what it means, is without sense. Meaning it's not our intention to not be without sense, but we're blind to it. It's hard to see. And here's how I know. Because the majority of people who really love money, I hear over and over again this common phrase, oh, I don't want to be rich, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be comfortable. Those who smile know what I'm talking about. Those who are not is guilty. That's exactly <laughs> what I just want to be comfortable. That's all, right? But could I just expose something to us all of us? Okay, we are so in love with money. We're so entrapped with money that you and I are willing to steal. We're willing to steal. Have you seen those Instagram reels that's been out, you know, these days? San Francisco, they say, oh, the city's going to pots, and all these bad things are happening. These people are rushing and, you know, raiding these stores, like, Gucci and Fendi and all these expensive stores, they're going to Best Buy, they're going to Walmart, they're going to even little, you know, hole-in-the-wall, like, stores that mom and pop owns, and they just rob things, they take everything, and garbage bags and backpacks, they rush out, there's a car waiting, and during this broad daylight, they just take off. You've seen those? And when you see that, well, what does it do to you? I mean, don't you feel indignant? Don't you feel a righteous anger? You're like, man, that's not how society should live. That's not good for our souls. That's not good for society. These people, what are they doing? You get mad about it. Well, God says, that's exactly what you and I do. You're like, where does it say that? Malachi 3.8. It says, God says, you're robbing for me. And literally, the text says, well, what, how have we robbed from you? And he said, you have withhold your tithes and offerings. 75% of our people in our church don't tithe. Now, I say that not to guilt you. Man, I, I, you know this. If you know me, I, you know that guilt has no power. I don't think guilt has power to move you and to change you. So I never preach guilt. I never lay it on you because I don't think it's effective at all. In fact, God loves you still. I love you still. Nothing changes except you need to know. You know though you hate somebody else stealing, you're okay from stealing from God. You're okay with that. And you go about every day thinking that that's no problem. You see, at, wor- at best, that's radical hypocrisy. At worst, it's really destructive. And you don't realize that. You think it's a small thing. You're like, oh, but it's just money from God. <laughs> You're stealing. Now, if you steal from a little mom and pop store, you get it, oh, Fendi, Gucci, all these rich people, I don't care, but the mom and pop store, that, that shouldn't happen. And yet, you're okay stealing from the righteous God who gave you everything that you have? I mean, that's radical hypocrisy. And the the reason why you and I don't see this readily is because we're like, well, we don't want to get rich. We we just want to be comfortable. I just want to support my kids' sports. I just want to support our living. All we want is food out. You know, that's how we think, right? Listen, again, I don't want us to be self-justifying. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to us today. And what I want us to know is that, yeah, money has a way of trapping us very uniquely. Let's just know that and confess that. Secondly, then, why are we ensnared? That's what money does, and why are we trapped? Let me give you two reasons. Number one, money blinds us to who we are. It blinds us to who we are. Verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age... Paul says, charge them not to be haughty. Now, Paul makes here a correlation between arrogance and those who actually make money. Now, what is the unique correlation there? See, we're a gospel-centered church, which means we know that we're justified by the life of Christ. We know that it was his life, not ours, that make our faith justified, that we find all of our approval in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen? Uh Uh-oh. Amen? Yes. Yeah, we we find justification from God only through Christ. And yet you and I know that we have hearts that constantly want to justify for ourselves. Like through our work, we want to say we don't need God. We want our glory. We want our control. We want to shape our justification. We want to justify for ourselves. And as we do that, when a self-justifying heart meets riches or wealth, Or money, the scripture tells us that something really terrible happens. It's a cocktail that is a bad, bad cocktail. What is that? Pride. Haughtiness. And what's so bad and terrible about pride, and the Bible speaks greatly to it, is that you and I immediately then become unteachable. You know what's interesting about wealthy people? I've known many wealthy. I still know many, many wealthy people. And they're so kind to our church, and they're so kind to me. And I have friends who are very wealthy outside of this church. And when I meet with them, for some reason, because of their wealth, many of them feel like they're experts in the rest of their life. You know what I mean? Like you were successful in this one area, but somehow you're now, because you have money and power, you have, you're, you're an expert in everything. And this is how the mind works. This is how the soul works. You are now self-justified through the security of money and you cannot be taught and you realize the two things that God uses constantly to teach us is through the spirit, through the word of God, he teaches us and through people who are in the word of God and we're not open to both. And so this is the warning for us. Don't be haughty. Paul is not just giving us a general warning to people to be, beware of pride. He says, no, if you love money, you have riches, be careful, because haughtiness comes, and there will be a bad, bad situation. You will be entrapped. Remember what Muhammad Ali once said? He said, it is hard to be humble when you're as good as I am. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> He's like, man, I'm so great. How could you be so humble if you're so great? In, the, in, in one sense, um, money, wealth, does that to So it's it's not a general warning. It is a very specific warning to those who love money. Secondly, money blinds us to how much we have. How much we have. Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Many senseless and harmful desires. Now, That word desire here in the Greek means excessive desires, which has a connotation towards addiction. Now, every addiction that anybody deals with deals also with what is called the tolerance effect. Do you know what the tolerance effect is? It means that once you start taking these drugs, there's an effect that comes upon you that you enjoy. But yet, as you continue to take that same drug, the effectiveness just kind of wears off. In order to get the same kind of effect, what do you have to do? You have to take more of that drug and more of that drug because your body adapts and your body tolerates. And so more drugs and the same kind of level of effect that you want, you're going to have to take more and more and more drugs to get that same effect that you once had. And that's exactly what happens with money. Here's the way it works. When you and I first start making a little bit more money, you start to buy things, you start enjoying things in ways that you couldn't afford before, and it just changes you. You know, when I was in college, um, right after school, I used to work every single day, and I used to eat lunch. Um, I used to go on a Taco Bell diet. Now, it wasn't for my body. It was for my wallet, okay? I got 10 tacos driving to work every single day, Monday through Thursday. And each taco was 29 cents back then. Okay, 29 cents. So I got 10 tacos I used to grind on. Now, you know what? Man, the supreme tacos were 49 cents. You know what makes a taco supreme at Taco Bell? A couple sprinkles of tomato and a giant line of sour cream. That's what I loved. I love sour cream, but back then I couldn't afford it. It almost doubled my final tab. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get supreme. That's not worth it. I'll take 10 tacos instead of six supreme tacos. That's how I rationalized, and that's how I got fat. Whatever, that's another sermon. <laughs> but so, so one day, I, I finally got a full-time job. I got this full-time job, and I finally said to myself, you know what? I feel pretty supreme today. <laughs> so I went to the Taco Bell line, and I got 10 supreme tacos. I spent it all And guess what, I haven't had a regular taco since then, (laughs) Why? Because here's what happens, right? What was considered luxury is now my necessity. What was once your luxury has become necessities. It is just average, it is normal. Like some of you are Disney fanatics. Once you go fast pass, there's no turning back, right? One day, you're, you're just waiting in line with the rest of the Neanderthals like us. And you see people passing by. You're like, what is that? It costs you 150 bucks more. You're like, yes, I will. And you start, take, you start paying for fast passes. Have you ever gone back? No. No way. Once you get that, there's just no way you're going to wait in line for the rest of the people. Man, could I just confess to you? That is exactly what happens. One, one, what was once considered luxury now has become a necessity My confession just recently was I was flying on a plane and I was trying to download a document and I was trying to work and man, the internet was so slow. I was just going to strangle somebody. I was just like, why do I have to wait 15 to 20 seconds more? And then the Lord spoke to me, I think. He reminded me that only 20 years ago we used to do the dial-up stuff where we waited for minutes hearing that bee boo bee boo stuff and we just hear it and we'd be okay with it but here I was feeling strangled because I had to wait 15 more seconds riding in a metal tube speeding through the air like 600 miles per hour getting me across the country in less than six hours and here I am with the internet connected to a satellite to above the clouds to which I'm drawing the information from a cloud I don't know how that works I don't know how that computer stuff works. Yeah, I know you guys know it. I don't. And somehow I'm downloading all my computer that's not even plugged in hardwired, and I'm getting the information that I need, and I'm complaining, dying, suffocating because I couldn't wait 20 seconds more. You see, what's happening is that more and more and more I need faster and faster and faster in order for, for me to feel normal. You see, what was once a luxury has become necessity not only that when you and i start making a little bit more money we start climbing up the social ladder and we go from one bracket to the next and there was time where the lower bracket we were the wealthiest but once you get up to the next bracket which is everybody's goal once we get there we all of a sudden become the poor people So though you are hanging out with richer people, eating different things, vacationing in different places, your standards are high, you are always feeling like you don't have enough. And what's interesting is that you always think of people who are richer than you, not poorer than you. And so this is how we justify ourselves today. We're not rich. We don't love money. We just want to, like, survive. We want to be comfortable. And so Instead of the option of living with less, even though we're making more than we've ever made before, instead of thinking maybe we can live with less and save more or give more, we think we have to earn more. How could I earn more and more and more? And this is the tolerance effect. And because luxury has become a necessity, you're trapped. And this is why when Paul says you need to give your money away because you need to be content. You and I have a hard time tithing or even being generous to the mission all around us. Why? Not because we're tight, not because, you know, um, we're stingy, but because we're fearful. We're fearful. It has enslaved us. And this is the reason why in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, look at this verse. It says, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Why does he say, watch out, watch out? Why does he say that? Why does he warn you like that? You know, in the Ten Commandments, it doesn't say, watch out, do not commit adultery. It doesn't say that. It doesn't have to. You know why? Because when you're committing adultery, you know you're committing adultery. You don't have to watch out because you know. Never in a person's life ever where you're sleeping or kissing another person that's not your spouse, and all of a sudden you turn to that person, hey, what are you doing here? You're not my spouse. Nobody's ever said that. So you don't have to watch out. You know, you just walked into it. You know what you're doing. But when it comes to greed, when it comes to money, Paul says, watch out. Jesus says, watch out against all kinds of greed. Nobody does porn and say, oh, what what is this thing on my phone? I thought I was on Amazon. Nobody says that. (laughs) But I'll tell you, over the years, I've had a lot of people confess many things. I've been a pastor almost for 30 years. I've had many people, many, many people, countless people come up to me and confess things like, pastor, I've committed adultery. Pastor, I've abused my kids. Pastor, I have a hard time forgiving this person. I have deep bitterness. Lots of confessions all over. You know, there's not one person in all the years that I've ever done ministry come up to me and say, pastor, I'm materialistic. Pastor, I steal from God. You know, Pastor, you know, I'm really worldly. You know why? Because nobody thinks that's true of them. Nobody. Everybody thinks, I'm just seeking comfort. You know, I'm not rich. You see, when you're a lover of money, the reason why Jesus has to say, watch out, don't be fooled, is because it's really hard to know when you and I are greedy. It's really hard. Now, Just pause there for a second. Let's just take a deep breath. If there's anything that I've shared with you that just pricked something in you, um, I would just consider that the work of the Spirit because I know that for some reason, this topic is harder than other topics. That should show you enough alone that this is like an entrapment because it shouldn't be any other. I mean, money shouldn't be a... A, a topic that is taboo we should all talk about it because it rules us god says you can't worship me and mammon right so you can't do that so we should talk about it but we tend to be overly sensitive about it so what i want to do is i want to give you a reprieve here how can we now be set free from the enslavement of money let me give you two things number one seek contentment seek contentment Verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now the word uh, gain means wealth here. What Paul is saying here is not just don't get gain, you get great wealth. Contentment is great wealth. What Paul is saying here is for your ability to be happy, no matter what your circumstance, is real wealth. What's happening to you, it doesn't matter financially or physically or what's happening in the stock market as long as you're continuing to be in peace somehow you can rest in the midst of your storm that is what paul considers great wealth well how does that work well for for most people wealth is a way of finding safety and security see wealth then becomes a safety against all uncertainty like losing your job you're like what if i get old and i i run out of money And that's why you're safe, 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 retirement, retirement, you know, Roth, IRA, you're doing all these things for safety. You're doing all these things out of this fear because you think money somehow is translated to your security and safety. That's why you're investing, investing. What happens if this happens in the world? It doesn't matter if I save because I'll be saved. And if we're honest, I think this is the reason why we have a hard time giving money away like the, to the levels that the Bible teaches us to. Why? Because it's not that we're stingy. I think it's because we're fearful. We're fearful of the lack of security. And yet, it says here, we need to give. And that, that security doesn't come from money. Because money isn't real safety. You see, seeing money as your safety is like walking into a war zone with bullets whizzing by your face. And what's shielding you is your security blanket that you've had since three years old. That does nothing. A bullet will go straight through that. And yet we think money will secure us. We think money will keep us safe. That money is the ultimate insurance. No, you and I are greatly misled. Wealth can't provide the emotional security. In fact, I know lots of really wealthy people that don't have emotional security. And that's why they come and talk to me. Or, or spiritual security, they don't. Because money has bought them a lot of different things, but they can't buy Jesus. Or, or they think they think um, money provides relational security. No, it doesn't. Are you kidding me? Some of my richest friends don't know the true friends that they have because they're like, are they, are they friends with me because of my money or because of me? And so they're radically insecure. Money doesn't buy you any of those things. At all. And what you and I need this day is to be driven deeper and deeper and deeper into the reality and the security of not money but in Christ. In Christ. More of Christ. And Paul says in Philippians 4, 11, this. I have learned in whatever the situation I'm to be content. Say content. Content, content yes. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And the question is, how does this work? You know, years and years ago, there's this pastor named Jonathan Edwards. Um, When he was 18 years old perhaps preached the best sermon America has ever heard since until today, even today. Maybe there's not a single sermon that is actually a better sermon than the one that he preached. And he was 18, and he had three points, and the sermon was called Christian Happiness. And he said, you get Christian happiness by three things. You know what those three points were? He said, number one, your bad things will turn out for good. Number two, your good things could never be taken away from you. Number three, the best things are yet to come. That was his point. First, your bad things will turn out for good. And if God is with you, you might be surrounded by evil and terrible circumstances. But God himself says in Romans chapter 8, if you love him, he loves you. And so therefore, you will be all right. All right. I'm going to carry you through. No matter what bad situation you are in, is not as bad as you think because you're still in my hands. And this is why Joseph was able to look at a terrible situation and say, you meant for, for evil, but God meant it for good. Amen? Isn't that good news that anything that you are going through today, God will use it for good, for his glory, and for your benefit. That's such a hopeful, hopeful thing. So redemptive. Amen? It's incredible. But secondly, he says, your good cannot be stripped away from you. The good, the best things in your life cannot be stripped away from you. Now, let's ask the question, what are the best things in your life? Can I share with you? The best thing in my life is the fact that I was an orphan without a spiritual father. And my heavenly father looked at me and came to me, not because I was good, not because I was cute, not because I was behaving but because he loved me and he picked me up and said, you are mine forever and ever. The best thing about my life is the fact that adoption is real adoption is real my heavenly father adopted me but you know what else is real that the best thing that cannot be taken from me justification yeah adoption happened through justification not through my behavior not my obedience but christ's obedience his perfect life came into my life and now i'm completely justified justified to the degree where now i'm fully approved even though i am an ongoing sinner god looks at me and says approved approved because he put christ's life over me yes you could clap and you could praise god for that utter reality over your life so you've been adopted you've been justified do you know that you're being sanctified right now that in you is the holy spirit doing work that you and i cannot do with all the obedience that we could gather we cannot. And God is changing us from one glory to the next, more beautified, more beautified in the strength and the grace of Jesus. And we are becoming people that are far more greater and more beautiful than everything that we've ever aspired for. I don't know what you want to be in life. I don't know what you have disappointments over. But could I tell you, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, he is making you to become something so beautiful, way greater, and way more beautific than you have ever imagined before. That is the work of sanctification. The Holy Spirit is working in you. Incredible. Adoption, justification, sanctification. Lastly, glorification. God is not done with you. One day he will be though. And when he does, you and I will not look the same. we will be so glorified that everything will radiate as the sun and we'll look like Jesus Christ. We'll look like we have lived his life We will be all in glory. You and I will be like, is that you? Ryan, is that you? You sure didn't look like that when you were on earth. And it would be true. It would be absolutely true because you and I have a destination. The best things are yet to come. And this is why Paul says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? He says, come on, death, go ahead. Give me your best shot. Spare not. Do thy worst. All you could do is to make me better than I've ever been before. He says that, why? Because when you and I are struggling with finances, you and I are struggling with job tensions and stuff like that, what was Paul struggling with? What what did he, where was he when he said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances? You know where he was? He was in prison. And he wasn't facing a bad job review, he was facing death. He was facing imprisonment, he was facing 39 lashes. And yet he's saying, I have peace to be content in the rest of my life forever. Why? Because the best things are yet to come. That is the reality for you. That is the reality for me. Now, you might be thinking, okay, I need to see contentment. I I know it all here, 100% downloaded. But I wish I could feel it as much as I know it. How do I feel it? as much as I know it how could it become a conviction for me not just truth that lives in my head well here's the second thing seek grace another way of saying this is enjoy grace have you ever been out there in our lobby you look up and it says make disciples who make disciples in the inner ring the first thing says enjoy grace We say that is because we think that is the secret sauce of everything here at Resonate. That you want to change, you want to love God, you want to love each other, you want to be generous, you want to be more content, enjoy grace. And here's another secret. If you've been here for any amount of time, Every single message I preached up here from this stage has been the same message every single week. I just pick a different verse and a different topic, but the subject is the same. God's grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over again. The reason why I do that is because that is the agent of change, not your will. Your will can't change you. It doesn't have the power to change you, but the grace of God does. And can I just show you how this works? Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Hear that again. We brought nothing into the world, but we cannot, I mean, but, and yet we cannot take anything out of the world. Now, does that sound familiar to you? You remember who said that? Job. Job said that. Remember what Job said? He said, Naked I come into the world, naked I'll go out. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken, the way, way, uh, take it away, blessed be the name of the Lord." Now Paul is quoting him, as commentators say, That's what he's talking about. Now what's interesting is that nakedness in the Bible is rarely nudity. Nakedness in the Bible is utter vulnerability. You're vulnerable. Like when the child comes as a baby, yes, he's nude. Great, Good observation. But the deeper observation is this child is vulnerable, naked, needing security, needing love, needing affirmation, needing security, needing protection. And when you get so old, you'll land in the same place as you're about to die, you're utterly vulnerable, you're utterly naked, you will need security, you'll need redemption, you'll need rescuing, you'll need, you'll need protection. Now, do you know the reason why you and I are running around trying to get money and hustling in our areas, wherever we are, to find that security? Because all of our desire for money are fig leaves. They're just fig leaves. It's us protecting ourselves from the perceived nakedness, the perceived vulnerability. Without money, we feel vulnerable. Without money, we don't feel secure. Without money, we feel unsafe. And the more we have, we feel more safe. But you realize that that is just a fig leaf. You try to cover yourself up of that vulnerability with dollars, and that does not work. And Paul's saying you can't do that. As if you're dying, when you're dying, you can't take your purse or your bank account on with you. It remains in the coffin, you see. Therefore, there's absolutely no security unless someone else covers you, unless somebody else rescues you, unless somebody else clothed you, unless somebody else protects you. Who is that? Do you know Job had the audacity to say in the middle of his book, saying, I lived the best life I could. I'm an innocent sufferer. But you and I know that in the Bible and in life there's only been one true innocent sufferer. One, innocent because he sinned and not. And secondly, the true sufferer because unlike any other sufferer in this world, he deserved no suffering. The only innocent sufferer that we've ever seen, ever witnessed, ever encountered is Jesus Christ. He was the only one who suffered innocently. And why? He was fully clothed. He had full power. He had all of the glory. He had all of the emotional, spiritual fellowship, physical fellowship of the triune God. And yet he decided to lay aside all of his deity. That he were to lay aside everything that he owned, everything he was, and became a human being, why? Why was he vulnerable? Why did he go to the cross? Why did he cry out, Father, why are you forsaking me? Why is he saying all that? Why is he losing? Why is he naked? Why is he vulnerable? So that you would be clothed. So that you would be protected. So that you would be secure so that you will be kept forever and ever and ever. He lost all of his glorious robe only to put it on you. And there's a section in the Bible where Paul says in Philippians 3.8, he says, I consider everything that I have rubbish if I could gain Christ. And here's Jesus on the cross saying, I will consider all these things that I have. By the way, he had a lot. He had everything. Colossians 1 tells us he is preeminent over all things. And he says, I would consider all that rubbish if I could just gain you. And he did. You and I did not deserve it. This is the security that we need. This is the protection that we need. This is the vulnerability that will get us to a place where we're like, man, I ain't scared anymore. I once thought money would be my security. Money cannot be my security. Christ in his grace is. And when that happens, you start letting go of that false security. And as your hand opens, God will pour more out. And as you release that into rich and good works, you'll feel the will of God come over your life. And you'll feel free and provided for. And the real security that you and I were meant to have You will. I'll close with this. Um, I just finished reading a biography, a missionary biography. This guy named C.T. Studd. Probably named himself because he was a stud. I mean, he was amazing. And um, this guy was a cricket stud. In the 1800s, he was the number one cricket athlete. He was the Michael Jordan of the global sport. He was the best of the best. And then he got converted. And he said yes to Jesus. Upon saying yes to Jesus, he had an inheritance of 29,000 pounds. That's millions and millions and millions of dollars translated to dollars today. And he gave it all away. And he gave it to some really profound uh, institutions like the Moody Institute. He gave 5,000 pounds. He gave 5,000 pounds to George Mueller um, and his missionary agency. Hudson Taylor's Missionary Agency, Inland China Mission, he gave 5000 The Salvation Army, he gave 5000 And he gave it all away. And the few remaining thousands of pounds that he had, he gave it to his fiancee then and said, keep it and do as you will. This is my wedding gift to you. And when they got married, um, guess what she did? She gave it all away. She gave it all away. Why? Because they after converting believe that the Bible is true and if the Bible is true that they're sowing inheritance into the future and they say we will live for the future and so we feel no loss now and so they became missionaries to Africa for the rest of their life now the question is what do you think they knew that we don't and I would just say nothing I think they knew the gospel I think we know the gospel. And they acted upon the gospel, so I want to give you a charge as we close. Paul closes like this, verse 18, they are to do good, meaning you and I are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, the storing up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If you want the true life, utterly secure, no longer vulnerable, find it in Christ. Let go of your treasures now and store them up in heaven where you and I will be able to enjoy them. Let us pray. Christ, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your grace. It is only through your grace that we're able to say that all the bad things will come untrue, that all the good things we'll get to keep, and all the best things are yet to come. And this is the reality for every saved person in this room that knows the value of who you are in our life. We cannot earn it. We cannot sustain it. It is you who sustain. It is you who give. It is you who paid. And so, Father, all we could say is thank you. All we could say is we respond to you. Allow us to let go of the things that we're clinging on to here in this world so that we could taste heaven, that we could get the glories of heaven, and that you would use us to do rich work here on earth so that we could sow our investment to the kingdom of God, and that one day we'll be able to reap handsomely lord will you give us the faith to believe that will you give us the thanksgiving in our hearts to constantly worship you the one who made all things possible and true we pray in the matchless name of our king and our savior jesus christ and all god's people said amen let's give him glory amen hallelujah